Well, good morning, church. It is great to be with you this morning. Thank you so much, Gene and Rebecca. What an amazing job this morning leading us in worship. Thanks for joining us, especially if it's your first time. First time in a very long time. Met some new people this morning. Glad you are here with us. You are special, our honored guests. We have so much to do this morning, so I'm going to jump right into it. We are in a series, a sermon series entitled The Story. What we're doing is we're using this resource and it takes a bunch of different passages throughout all of Scripture and it places them in chronological order for us so we can see how God's large story, God's large narrative, the story about love and loss and ultimately the story about eternal life, how that story makes sense of and gives meaning and purpose to all other stories. All the other stories in Scripture but all other stories in this room. The only way to figure out what your story is and what you're doing with your story and where your story is going is to lose yourself in God's story. That's been our hope. We're 27 chapters in. This morning is chapter 28. We're going to be looking at the book of Acts together. And it's my hope and my prayer that we will act a lot like they did uh, after we get through this material. Uh, if you are new, you haven't been really reading along with us, but for those of you who have been reading along, in about three weeks from now, if you have read the story week to week, you will have read through the entire Bible in one year. Well done. If you haven't read with us, um, no time like the present. Grab your copy. It's out there in the foyer. Uh, 27 chapters this week. Good luck with that. You'll have, you'll have a great, great week. But three more chapters. The Lord typically saves the best till the end. So grab your resource. Read along with us. Thanks for those of you who have been reading. If you haven't, we've got some copies of this out in the foyer. It's an amazing resource. An amazing story. Uh, one Sunday morning during a worship service out in a church in California, an earthquake hit. The building began to shake and the seats began to move in that sanctuary. But in true Californian style, the church didn't skip a beat. They just kept singing, kept praying, kept praising. Following the service, a first-time visitor went up to the pastor afterward and he said, Pastor, I can honestly say that was the most moving service I've ever attended. All right, now I'm not sure if that's what God had in mind, but I do know that God wants to move his church. God wants to move his people. He wants to move them out of mediocrity and into mission. He wants to move them out of apathy and into action. He wants to move them from being unresponsive to being unstoppable. God wants to move his church. Reminds me of another small country church out on the far west side of Colorado. Uh, the church had been there for decades but over the years, it had kind of lost its way. It had grown stagnant and stale. It had lost a lot of members. Well, one day, the church building caught on fire, literally. The whole town ran toward it to help extinguish the flames, including the village atheist. Someone hollered out to the outspoken atheist, Hey, this is the first time we've ever seen you running the church. The unbelieving man said, Well, this is the first time I've ever seen the church on fire for anything. It's a powerful statement, is it not? At multiple levels. This is the first time I've ever seen the church on fire for anything. See, one of God's great desires is to have his body, the church, be on fire for him. To be on fire with his divine presence. To be on fire with his divine power. Like an athlete that's, that's in the zone. Right? Like, like Katniss Everdeen as he's paraded through the streets of the capital like the girl that Alicia Keys sings about, God wants us to be on fire. On fire for him, on fire for our faith. 
And this is true based off of what we read in chapter 28 of our story. Now, a lot of folks ask me, and they wonder why uh, young people are leaving the faith uh, in, in large number and so rapidly. Well, my answer is twofold. One, I, I think that's only partially true. I've spent the last 13 years of my life with young people, and I have seen a holy hunger in the next generation like I've never seen before. Young people are going deeper into faith than all the generations before them have ever gone. More young people are coming to faith right now than in years past. So it's only partially true. So when you hear those statistics, don't think, oh, no, we're losing the fight. No, we're not. Young people are hungry for God. Young people are coming to know God. But there are some negative stats. There is some negative trends out there. So my other response to them is simply what Donald Miller says. Miller says that when a young person goes off, when a young person leaves their faith, when, when the ways of the world, when stuff and, and sex and success become their God, become their religion, it all boils down to stories. It all boils down to stories. See, we all want to be a part of a great story, don't we? We all want to play this major role in this epic story. I mean, that's exactly what our whole series is talking about, the story. It all boils down to stories. And people leave the church, especially young people, because they find a better story. They find a bigger story, a more enticing, more enthralling story than the one they find at church. I mean, think about this. Think about the ads. Think about what is, what is uh, portrayed through the movies and through the ads that we are constantly bombarded with. Risk, reward, adventure, amazement, power, prestige. That's what the world offers, or so it claims. That's what the world has to sell. That's a great story. Come on, you can't lie about that. That's a great story. And when you compare that story to the one you hear at church on Sundays... Story that's kind of lame, story that's kind of tame. Well, it's no wonder they're choosing the other story. It's no wonder they're choosing a different story. That shouldn't surprise us at all. What should surprise us, though, is that our story has become second rate. What should surprise us is that, that our story, that we have allowed our story, the story of God, to lose its wonder and to lose its awe. What should surprise us is that we just kind of sat back and allowed another story to become more spectacular than our story. Because when the church is on fire for God, when God is alive in his people, there is no story like it on earth. There's no story can even compare. No story even comes close. When the church is on fire for God, when God is alive within his people, people don't leave the church, they come running into the church. They are banging down the walls of the church. That's the story I want to be a part of. That's the story we were all created to be a part of. Let me show you. On the bottom of page 392, again, this is found in the first few chapters of the book of Acts, we read that the early church performed numerous signs and wonders. We read that they enjoyed the favor of all the people. They were the talk of the town. We learned that 3,000 people were baptized in one day. I mean, last week I was stoked about the 10 people that we baptized, but 3,000 in one day? I mean, we'd miss the game tonight. We'd miss the game next week. We'd be here forever. We would want to be, though, wouldn't we? There'd be nowhere else we'd want to be but right here. I mean, my arms become this wrinkled mess, like, psh, psh, three, yes, please. It would be incredible. That's what I want to be a part of. Isn't it what you want to be a part of? It's, it's, it's what the church was meant to do. It's a church on fire. So how did they get there? What is it that made that church so amazing? 
What was it that set them on fire for God? And how can we as a church live in that fire, live out that fire, live in and live out that story? Because I want that, church. I want that so bad. So I want us to wrestle with that this morning. I think it boils down to three things. The early church was on fire because the early church was, first of all, infused with God's spirit. I'm not sure if you've had this experience or not, but chances are pretty likely that you have. You've probably walked past an open casket during a viewing or a funeral service. I've seen the bodies of my grandparents, the bodies of Becca's grandma, a few close friends over the years. And although they looked the same, they just, they just, they just looked different, didn't they? Like it, it was the same exact body that I saw just a few weeks before when they were alive, but something was different. Like, that is grandpa, but that's just not, that's just not grandpa. Why? What's, what's different? Well, the body is there, but the life is not there. The body is there, but the spirit is not there. The life of the body is there, but the power is not there. It's strange to see a body without a spirit, isn't it? Because a body without a spirit has no life, has no soul, has no influence, has no authority. Well, so it is with the body of Christ. Look at page 389. This is Acts chapter 1, verse 4. On one occasion, while Jesus was eating with his disciples, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that my Father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Let's make sure we're all on the same page here. This is important we, get, we understand what's happening in this moment. Jesus rose from the dead. He then spent the next 40 days teaching his disciples. He spent the next 40 days kind of showing up and teaching them and revealing great spiritual truths to them. 40 days at the feet of the resurrected Lord. 40 days with the greatest teacher on earth. 40 days remembering and, and being taught and, and, and being drilled home, having drilled home all of these deep truths. I think after these 40 days, these, these disciples, they're ready to go. But Jesus says, no, you're not ready yet. You're not ready yet. Before you can go out, you got to stay put. And here's why. There's a huge difference between being informed and being infused. Look at those two words up on that screen for me for a second. Informed versus infused. See, the disciples, they were informed about the kingdom, but they weren't infused with the power of the kingdom. The disciples were informed about the, 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 the Jesus' life and his death, but they weren't infused with his spirit of life or his power over death. They were informed about God. They knew a lot about God. They could tell you a lot about God, but they were not infused with the authority of God. They were a dead body lying in a casket with no soul. Make sense? They were just that lifeless body. It's like, yeah, it's a, it's a body, but it's, it's, it's the church, yeah, but it's just not because it doesn't have any soul. And so 120 disciples, they wait as Jesus commanded. They all huddle together in some upstairs room and they're just kind of praying and they're waiting. They're waiting in Jerusalem because Jerusalem's about to have a million people rush through it for this huge festival that's about to take place. And I think God chose that city in that day in that moment because he wanted a huge audience to see what was about to happen next. As the 40 days come to an end, these guys are praying and huddling up in this 
upstairs room. Look at what happens. Acts 2, verses 1 through 12. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one space. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these guys just Galileans? How is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, all the parts of Libya, they were all there. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and Judaism, Cretans, Arabs, I think you get the hint. We're hearing them declare the wonders of God in our own language, in our own tongue. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what is going on? What does this mean? Others, however, made fun of them and said, they've just had too much to drink. In the blink of an eye, in the flash of a moment, the 120 disciples who were told to stay put, they become courageous, cross-cultural missionaries. They're speaking the wonderful works of God in all the languages of God. They go from hiding out to speaking out. They go from praying silently to preaching publicly. They go from waiting and wondering to performing wonders. It happened in one moment. What was the difference? Spirit. The Holy Spirit. They went from just being a body lying in that casket, lifeless, powerless, to being a body infused with the very life of God. It's the Holy Spirit. He was finally in them. And thus the power, the breath, the life, the authority of God was now finally in them. You've heard me use this analogy before, but it works perfectly to describe the Holy Spirit. Right, water comes in different forms. You've got, you've got ice cubes, which are nice on a, on a hot day. You've got a, a cold glass of water, which is nice on any day. But you've got a thir third expression of water, a third form of water that goes unnoticed and typically unappreciated and untapped. It's steam. Right? Steam is water. It is all that ice is. It's all that liquid is. But it's something different as well. It's a power unlike the others. So it is with the Holy Spirit. We know God, the ice cube, sounds weird. We know Jesus, the cold glass of water, still weird. But now comes the Spirit, the steam of God, the expression of God that many of us have never experienced. You see, steam heats you up. It cleanses you. It purifies you. It empowers you. And God's desire is for you to be infused with his steam. That's what happened for the first church. They went from being a body to being a body with a soul and a spirit. They went from being informed and knowing to being infused and doing. And this wasn't just God's plan and God's hope for the early church. This is God's plan and God's hope for every church. This isn't just God's plan and God's hope for the early Christians. This is God's plan and God's hope for every Christian. This is the way Paul says it, Ephesians 3. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with what? power through his spirit in your inner being 
Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and all peace as you trust in him so you may overflow with hope. Yes, we want joy, we want peace, we want hope. How do you get it? Through his spirit, the power of his Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 1, 7, for the spirit God gave us, oh, it doesn't make us timid, but it gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Christian, your faith is meant to stand in the power of God. Do you understand that? Let that just sink in for a second. Got to swirl that around in your head for a few minutes. Your faith is destined to stand in the very power of God, the power of the one we've been reading since page one of this book. Your faith is meant to stand in that and to display that power. You're not just supposed to be a body. You're supposed to be a body with a soul. You're not supposed to just be informed, you're supposed to be infused. In Ephesians, we learn that the Holy Spirit was the power that raised Jesus from the dead. And then Paul says, hey, I got something to tell you. Come here. This is great. You ready? Okay, sit down. Good. You're all sitting down. That same power, it's in you. Yeah, yeah, that, that same power, that Holy Spirit power that raised Jesus from the dead, it's in you. Gatorade asked the question, is it in you? We say, yes, it is. It's in us, that same power. This is where I think most churches and most believers struggle today, though. Like the disciples of uh, before the day of Pentecost, even on that day, that we know a lot about Jesus. We've spent a lot of time reading about Jesus. I can teach you how to follow Jesus. I can help you give your life to Jesus. I know the best podcast to listen to if you want to learn more about Jesus, but you don't have the spirit of Jesus in you. You are not infused. We are not infused. And that's a problem. Because Acts shows us that this one little thing makes all the difference in the world if we ever want to make a difference in the world. It's, it comes down to the Spirit. Is it in you? Do you have Him? You see, you can't simply be informed. You have to be infused. You can't simply have ice cubes and a cup of cold water. you got to have some steam. You can't simply be a body. You need a body with a Spirit. Now, this is an important enough topic that we as a church got to spend some time here. We don't have the time this morning. So starting in February, the middle of February, and going to Pentecost Sunday next year, it's in May, the day we read about here, we're going to study the Holy Spirit, a 16-week series on the Holy Spirit. We're going to call it Limitless. And we're going to look at who he is, what he does, and how he's supposed to empower and infuse and change our lives today. I can't wait for that series. It's going to be, it's going to be something crazy. So just wait until then. Next point. No, okay, just kidding. What do we do until then? Well, turn your attention to Luke eleven thirteen. If you then, though, though you're kind of evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who have led 20 people to the Lord? To those who know the special words to say, to those who go through a special ritual, to those who jump up and down and make a scene, that's who the Holy Spirit is given to. Is that what the text says? No, it says, how much more will he give the Holy Spirit to those whom ask? Just ask. You just got to ask. Now, you see, if you've ever said Jesus is Lord, guess what? The Holy Spirit is in you. You can't say that on your own. But don't you want some more of it? Don't you want some more? If you said that with just a little bit, maybe, of the Holy Spirit, what else will you say if you get the big daddy Holy Spirit? <laughs> That's how we talk about it in our house, like little babies and big daddies. 
You said Jesus is Lord. Your eternity was changed. You said it through the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, you want some more of it? You want some more of that? Then ask. Because God's ready to give it away, but he wants you to want it. He wants you to, to understand what you're asking for, and he wants you to be ready to receive it. So just ask. If you want to move from being informed to being infused, if you want your faith to be marked by power, if you want God's steam, then just ask him. Ask him for it. Ask for a greater level of expression and experience of the Holy Spirit. Ask him for more. Commit every day this week to asking God for a greater depth and level and experience of the Holy Spirit. Ask. Come on, church. Ask him. Ask him. When you ask, you're going to be set on fire. because That's what happened to the first church. It was an infusion of the Holy Spirit. The second thing that caused them to be on fire for God was the fact that they were in fellowship with one another, in fellowship with God's people. Page 392, Acts 242. The first church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Uh, lately, Bailey and Cassie, my two daughters, have been uh, cooking with mommy. So they get their aprons on, right? They get the stools out and they hop up there and they cook with mommy. And they make these things called concoctions. <laughs> and it's just the leftovers from whatever mommy was cooking with. And guess who gets to eat the concoctions? Yeah, what's, why do dads got to do that, right? Well, their concoctions are a recipe for disaster. But what we read about happening in Acts 2, it's a recipe for success. The world had never seen this type of community before. It was joyful, sacrificial, devoted, united, humble. It was this grateful group of people. And contrast that with the selfish, fake, fickle, mean-spirited communities of the Roman world, and the rest of the world stood back and took notice. Like, that community is so different. That community is so amazing. That community is so incredible. What is it about that community? And I think when we commit ourselves to doing the same thing that they did, that the world will stop and take notice again. They will stop and say, what is going on with that community? I mean, look at what these people were committed to. Look at what they were known for. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They devoted themselves. All right, stop here for a second. Cheering for the Broncos is one thing. Like, hey, that family loves the Broncos. Woohoo! Being devoted to the Broncos. Now that's... That's another thing completely. You see, doing it occasionally is one thing, but being devoted to it's another, especially when it comes to God's word, to communion, to prayer. The first church was devoted to it. They were sold out. So how about us, guys? How devoted are we as a church to reading and studying the Bible? How does our Bible study time compare to our TV watching time, our, our Facebook time, our, our Craigslist time? How devoted, devoted are we as a church to, to prayer? Are meal prayers and bedtime prayers enough? Are pre-sermon prayers or 911 prayers? Is that what God is looking for? Are we devoted to those things? It says this, they had everything in common. They sold their possessions to give to anyone who was in need. What? Statistics show that the average Christian today gives about 2% of their income to the church or other nonprofits, 
That stands in stark contrast, doesn't it, to Acts 2? They sold whatever they had to whoever was in need. That's an amazing community of people. So is that, does that mark us, our lives? Does that, does that resemble our church? Do we, our church, do we sacrificially give our money away, our resources away to people who are in need? Do we sell our stuff? Do we give our stuff away? Do we go above and beyond that 2% to 10% even more, whatever percent is needed to help you if you're in need? That's a community right there, is it not? That's a great church right there. You need help? I'll help you. Your kids need something? What do I gotta do? I'll sell my stuff so you can get some of your own stuff. What an incredible community. See why the world was in awe? See why the world stood back and, and looked at this community? It says this, every day they met together, eating and singing and sharing with one another. Every day. Man, I love that you are here today, but what if I asked you to come every day? Would you come tomorrow? How about Tuesday? You gonna be here on Wednesday? How about Thursday when it's cold outside and snowing? You gonna be here? Every day they were together. Wow. So church, do you, do you see yourself as an intricate part of this place, as an intricate part of this, this family? A family member that needs to be here because we're not as good if you're not here. And we miss you when you're not here. Do you see yourself in that way? Do you say no to other things so you can say yes to being with us? Is your regular attendance not so regular? Do you run out of here as quickly as you can when we're done? Or do you hang out and get to know us? See, this is what it meant to be the church. This is what set this community on fire for God. And this is who I want us to be as a church. I'm not interested in moving thousands of people through numerous worship services. I'm not interested in that. I wanna be this kind of community. I want to know your name. I want to know your anniversary date. I want to know what you're struggling with. I want to see you. I want to care for you. I want to celebrate with you. I want to suffer alongside of you. And I want all of you to want the same thing. That's what it means to be the church. Don't just show up. You want to show up? You can show up a lot of other places. You got to invest in this family. You got to care about this family. You got to be an intricate part of this family. Because when we're all part of that together, it's like these little logs stacking on top. Ba-boom. It's on fire for the Lord an amazing thing will happen. Now, the result of this is not just a bigger church, right? The goal of this is not simply greater attendance. Look at what happens as a result of this. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. When they committed to not just cheering for God, but being devoted to God, when they committed to not just showing up, but investing with and in one another, when they were devoted to all those things, when they shared, when they sacrificed, when they suffered with each other, the Lord brought salvation about. He brought the salvation of the city about. Just this week, I heard about a lady in our church asking a few of our older members if, if they just needed any help buying groceries or getting food on the table, running errands. And she said the older couple both lost it, both started crying hysterically because they'd been praying that God would send someone to help them run errands and get food on the table. And it was just because a woman in this church cared about the other people in this church that I'm gonna be the church and I wanna help you to be the church and experience, you see, see what I'm saying there? Oh, that's a beautiful thing. Oh, it's on fire. This church is on fire. <laughs> yes, in that moment it was, it was. And you know what that little act did? But well, it, it, it changed eternity. It changed eternity. People are being saved through an act like that. 
Individuals, families, marriages, neighborhoods, businesses, they are changed when a church is on fire. A city is different when a church is on fire for God. All of Jerusalem was in an uproar. You hear what's going on over there? I guarantee you all of Littleton will be in an uproar if we commit ourselves to these same things. What, what, what would happen if you went to Walmart, Applebee's, I'm gonna say it again, Cheesecake Factory, it's coming, right? Let's say you're there, and all of a sudden in the, in the, in the booth next to you, it's like, you hear what's going on at West Bowls? And they're selling their stuff. People are like moving in together to, to, to not have to pay double rent. They're giving as they have, they meet together every day. They're singing, they're sharing, they're serving. It's, what's happening over there? Can you imagine that? Yes, I can. Yes, I can. I don't want to just imagine. I want to be a part of that church. I want to be a church on fire for the Lord. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon once said this, to put new converts into most churches is like putting live chicks under a dead hen. See, God loves lost people. He wants to find lost people. And he's not going to bring, at least in my opinion, lost people into a church full of dead people. Or he's not going to bring his lost children into a house that's dysfunctional and not alive. That's apathetic. He's not going to do that. It's along those same lines that we see the third thing that set this church on fire. They were in tune with God's mission. Have you ever sat in the audience a few minutes before an orchestra concert? It's like utter chaos, isn't it? It's like, it's like ah, what is happening right now? Well, they're out of tune with one another, so they sound horrible. The same thing happens with the church. It looks and functions horribly when it's out of tune, out of tune with God's mission. Look at what Jesus said about mission in Acts 1.8. You will receive power. There it is again when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and this power will enable you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. I love this command. And I don't think it's hypothetical. I don't think he's giving this in some random, like, like theoretical terminology. He's, he's using these words very specifically. Jerusalem. Jerusalem is your immediate sphere of influence. It's your family, your friends, your kids, your neighbors, your workplace. Your Jerusalem is the people that you're around with on a daily basis, that you interact with on a daily basis. God wants you to love those people, serve those people, share with those people. He wants you to care about and reach out to those people. And Jerusalem, and even though it's the people who are around every day, sometimes it's the hardest group of people to love, isn't it? It's like, oh, Jerusalem. It's like your spouse, your kids, your coworkers. I mean, I, I hear it's the hardest group of people to love. I mean, I love every one of the staff members here, except for that one guy. But anyway, well, um, but there's Jerusalem. It's the people you're around every day. Think about, just for a second, guy, who's, who is that? Your family in your, in your home, the neighbors around your home, guys you work with, people you go to school with. That's your Jerusalem. God wants you to be a witness to them, a powerful witness of the gospel to them. He doesn't want you to stop there. He wants you to go to Judea. Judea represents a larger sphere, a larger group of people that, that you're not a part of every day and you kind of have to go out of your way to interact with. This would be like downtown Denver. This would be a low-income neighborhood. Maybe the college campuses in the area. Maybe a retirement home here in town. You, you don't, you're not a part of it every day, but you could be if you wanted to. If you go out of your way and take a few minutes out of your day, you could be right in the middle of that community. That's your Judea. And God is calling you to not only care about your Jerusalem, but to think a little bit bigger and to care now about your whole city. Littleton proper, Denver proper. Then from there, we go to Samaria. Oh, Samaria. Samaria represents the people that we don't want to be around. 
It's a group of people that you can't stand. You actually look down on. For the Jews, it was a group of people called the Samaritans. They had one Jewish parent, but not another. So that meant that one Jewish parent kind of slept around a little bit. And right, So now they're a religious mutt. They're a half-breed. And the Jews despised this group of people. Who is that for us? Maybe it's people with different political stances, different sexual preferences. Maybe for us it's the Muslim community, the openly hostile, anti-gay community. I can keep going if you want, but I think you get the hint here. There are groups of people that we don't like. And God says, yeah, I want you to powerfully witness to that group of people too. I want you to love and serve and share with them too. Then he says, and I want you to take that to the ends of the earth. God wants us to have a global perspective, a global influence. He wants us to be aware of the crisis in Sudan right now. He wants us to build orphanages for those in Peru. He wants us to support children in Haiti through compassion. We used to pay missionaries to go to the far corners of the earth. Still a great idea, but now we can go to the far corners of the earth. We can have an influence in the far corners of the earth. See, when a church takes this mission seriously, when they love the people right around them, when they have eyes that are bigger for the whole city, when they go to people they don't like, and when they have this global perspective, God will set you on fire. And everyone will take notice. That's a church that is in tune with the mission of God. I learned this past week that when a military general gives an order, that order stays in effect until a new order is given. It's like, what should we do now? What was the last thing he said? That's what you should do. And just keep doing it until he says something else. Well, guess what? What we read in Acts 1.8, those are the very last words of Jesus. The very last ones. Go be a witness. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. And unless I miss something, which is likely, but unless I miss something, he hasn't issued another command. That's it. He's still interested in us doing that. All right, so I don't want to just talk about this stuff. I want us to start seeing some of this stuff, start doing some of this stuff. So we're going to close this morning uh, through a couple of, of cool ways. I'm not sure how many of you are aware of this, but we have a dance ministry here at West Bowles. And we started that a few years ago. Yeah, way to go, dancers. We uh, started that, uh, let me, six, six, eight months ago because we have a heart to reach Jerusalem and Judea. Right, right here in our area, because think about it, the, the, the human body is, is just being, all kinds of weird things are being said about it and done to it. It's just, it's just turning gross. And dance, especially, is this form of art that's turning vulgar and, and, and not honoring to God. So we wanted to say, you know what, we're going to offer a dance ministry to the young women and guys in our community to say, God made your body beautifully, and he wants you to use it to do beautiful things. So it's so intentional. That dance ministry is all about being a witness in Jerusalem and Judea. Now, what's pretty cool this morning is we have a special group of dancers uh, that are going to kind of showcase this ministry and I think this message through, uh, through a dance they have prepared for us. So check this out. These women have spent the last several months touring all of Denver sharing this message using dance as a ministry. To witness to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And last week, our little dance crew, our little girls, they went to another church to put on a little performance as well to share the gospel. You can do it through all kinds of different avenues. So what about those of us who have no rhythm at all? Uh, what about those of us who have no hair at all? <laughs> I realized that was a prerequisite for that dance. Um, what about us? Well, of course God has plans for us as well. Oh, the dance is one incredible way at this church and that ministry is, is being witnesses, but, but all of us have a part in this. I want to introduce you to somebody, chances are you already know her, it's our own Katie McKenna. Uh, she's been a huge part of this church for a while now. Uh, 
She served our youth program for years. She's poured herself into our little ones through Awana for years. Well, a few months ago, Katie comes to me. She says, the Lord's put on my heart this desire to go to the ends of the earth, literally. I want to take this thing serious, and I want to go deeper with God. So she comes, and she says she wants to be part of a ministry called YWAM, which is also where the dancers are from. But YWAM is a three-month intensive discipleship program. So for three months, she will learn Bible study, prayer, uh, miracles, and wonders. She will learn how to be a true disciple of Jesus. Then the next three months, she's going to go to Cambodia or Nepal. And she's going to be a witness to the ends of the earth. I'm so proud of this girl. I'm so excited that she is wanting to do this. She has a heart for the lost. She has a hunger for God. She has a desire to go deeper. And she also has a lot of money to raise. And that's where we come in. This morning, I want to fund Katie's trip. She had about $6,000 left before she can just say, yes, I'm done. I've raised everything I need to. And I want us to say as a church, we're behind you, and we're going to do that with you. We're going to hold down Jerusalem. We got Judea right now. You got to go to the ends of the earth for us. As West Bowls, we send you out and say yes and amen to your trip to Cambodia. Go. So she's going to be in the foyer. She's selling these sweet t-shirts to say, to the ends of the earth. Pretty sweet. And uh, just, just cool stuff. Go find her. Throw large sums of money at her. Okay? Bless that woman. And say, yes, we believe in a church on fire. A church that sends people out to the ends of the earth. All right, so what if you can't dance? And what if you don't want to go to Cambodia? Sorry, you're not a Christian. <laughs> Let's pray. All right, you can't dance. You don't want to go to Cambodia. Well, is there something you can do? Of course there's something you can do. There's something all of us can do. From those boxes in the foyer, those, those, those uh, Christmas boxes to Mexico, to the harvest festival that we did, to the women's ministry, to the youth program. There's so many ways you can be a witness. But I want us to really start thinking about this. I want us to really start going deeper and, and, and assessing our church in terms of its, its passion for the Lord. See, as I assess us as a church, I don't think we're that bad off. I don't think we're that dead hen that... that Spurgeon talked about. I don't think we're stale. I don't think we're stagnant. We've got new believers every week. Baptisms happening on, on different occasions now. We have outreach events. A group of people is leaving this week to go build a, a home in, in Mexico for a poor family. Uh, Awana every Monday night. Our power of one money being spent every Monday morning. We're a church. We are alive. We are moving. We are filled with the Spirit. But don't you want more? Don't you want to see more of it? Don't you want to go deeper into some of those things? I honestly think we have just scratched the surface. So the final thing I want to close with this morning and really get the ball rolling is, is a questionnaire that we have set up. It's going to be online, Facebook and our website. It's a six-question questionnaire, and it just talks about West Bowl's mission, West Bowl's passion. Are we on fire? If not, why not? What can we do better? What are our strengths? What are our weaknesses? As we move into new initiatives, new service times, what can we do to reach Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth? And we need your input. We want your input. You are in this with us. So fill that out for me this week, would you? Take you 10 minutes. I'm not going to have a giveaway. You don't need a giveaway. There's no Amazon card. Just fill it out. Okay? Take 10 minutes. Fill that survey out. We're going to have it open for two weeks, and we're going to share the results. I think it's going to be pretty powerful. I want to be on fire for the Lord. I want West Bowles to be on fire for God. I hope that you want her to be as well. I've literally seen a church building go up in flames. It's not a pretty sight. What I want to see, though, is a church body go up in flames. I want to see a body of believers go up in flames for God. And I think it can be this body right here.
So let me pray that over us and we have one final worship song to end our morning together.